Welcome and thank you for joining us. You are listening to Gaining Christ Audio, a ministry designed to teach the absolute truth of God from the Bible in order to strengthen you in your knowledge of God, as well as your confidence, satisfaction, and faithfulness in Him, or so that you will hear the gospel, come to genuine faith in Christ Jesus, and receive eternal life from God if you have not already. In this podcast, part two in our series on the grace of God, we will now describe the actual role of God's grace in a person's salvation. In our previous podcast, we define God's grace as the exceedingly generous and merciful loving kindness of God given by God to an undeserving recipient. The unmerited favor of God giving, given to an undeserving recipient like us. The loving kindness of God. And we describe some of the foundational characteristics of God's loving kindness as it is proactive and personal and sovereign according to God's will and perfect, perfectly successful in accomplishing the work God sends his grace to do and comprehensive. It overwhelms a person and God's grace is even eternal from everlasting to everlasting. Today, we will discuss the role, the actual role of God's grace in a person's salvation. What is the role of God's grace in a person's salvation and eternal life? Well, the answer depends on who or what you ask. There are many opinions out there. Some would even say the subject is simply too mysterious to understand. You cannot explain it. Yes, it's God's grace, but it's also our responsibility, people may say. It's a mystery. Yes, indeed, the grace of God is mysterious and complex, but it is not incomprehensible. It is not so mysterious that we cannot understand how it functions. If we seek God's word, we will find a clear answer to the role of God's grace in a person's eternal life. For starters, the grace of God began in creation when he made man. And the grace of God continued when he did not obliterate man or the universe when Adam and Eve sinned. And God in his loving kindness continued to deal with man even in our struggles and promised a savior. As early as Genesis 3, a savior was promised, yes, in a curse to Satan himself, the serpent, but nevertheless announced. And then more clearer as the Old Testament is scripted to Abraham and the Jews and the prophets announcing this coming savior that would save mankind and people from their sins. And then it's God in his grace who provided the savior, his own son came down from heaven and took on human flesh and lived a perfect life and became 
a substituted sacrifice to pay for the sins by his grace of undeserving sinners. And it's his resurrection from the dead in God's grace that accomplishes eternal life. And it's God's grace to share the gospel as he's been doing through the Bible and through the centuries and decades by the prophets, by other preachers, even Jesus himself preaching the truth in his loving grace of why he was there and what he would do. And then training in his grace, his disciples turned apostles to go out and preach the good news as Peter did in Pentecost in Acts 2, the festival of the harvest, 50 days after Passover. He preaches the truth to Jews that even killed Jesus, offering by God's grace forgiveness and salvation. So how does a person receive this grace of God accomplished by Christ? Well, some would say Christ is not needed, actually. He can be involved to a degree because it's our good works that save us. We don't need to go there. The Bible is clear. It's not by good works that a person earns or deserves salvation, eternal life with God. Some would say, well, it is all Christ. 100% Christ, it's all Christ, but to receive his grace, you have to earn his grace or appropriate the grace through good religious works, and hopefully you do enough to get his grace. That's not the gospel either. The truth is salvation is 100% Christ and his merit received by faith in Christ. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Salvation, eternal life, as hopefully you know, and the Bible states clearly, is a free gift from God, given by God, through the perfect life, sacrifice, and resurrection of Christ Jesus applied to a person. The wages of sin is eternal death. What we deserve, what we have earned, is eternal death, Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God in His grace is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It is clear that God's grace saturates the entire plan of salvation. But the real question is, What is the role of grace in a person coming to faith in Christ? That's really the question. Because if you know anything about the Bible and the truth of God, you know that it is 100% the loving kindness of God to give a Savior. And you know it's 100% the grace of Christ, the Son of God, who accomplished salvation. And the way we receive salvation, eternal life in Christ is through faith in Christ. The question is, how much grace of God is involved in a person coming to faith in Christ? Debatable. Some say 0%. Some say 25% grace. 50% grace. 50% the individual. 75% grace. 25% the individual, 90% grace, 10, 95, 5, 99, 1 or more, is it? 
Well, to understand the answer of the question, the exact role of grace in a person's salvation unto eternal life, it is first imperative that we understand our condition and state with God prior to being saved. This cannot be repeated enough. According to the Bible, an individual, myself included, anyone listening who's not in Christ throughout history, is spiritually dead before we are saved. Dead. People say, no, we're not dead. We enter into the world pure. We're innocent and holy. No, we are not. We are not born pure and innocent and right with God and holy. As David says in Psalm 51.5, writing scripture, that I was sinful even when my mother conceived me. Because of the sin of Adam and Eve, passed down through the generations in our families, we are born in sin, spiritually dead. And furthermore, as the Bible says, we are a slave to sin, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. It controls us. We cannot do good. No one does good, Romans 3. We cannot seek God. We don't understand. We don't know the way of peace. We cannot please God. Romans 8, we're living as enemies of God in this state, Romans 5. We are dead spiritually like a person would be dead physically if they drowned in the ocean and sunk to the bottom. A person who drowns in the ocean and sinks to the bottom and is dead cannot save themselves. They do not even have the wherewithal to call for a rescue. They need the 100% outside power to overwhelm and successfully rescue and resuscitate them. It is important we understand this. If you know what the Bible says, then you can understand the role of grace and salvation. And then we must hear the gospel, the truth of God, right? What it says about us and our separation from God and we're accountable to God. And God does that in his grace. He sends preachers out. He's given the Bible. He's had it translated. People preach. Peter preached. Jesus preached. John preached. John the Baptist preached. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah preached. But just hearing the truth and even understanding one's spiritual condition does not save them. They must understand the gospel and they must come to the gospel with their eyes being opened. And God opens eyes. Blind people cannot open their own eyes, and spiritually blind people cannot open their eyes. But you can understand some of the gospel intellectually, and you can even have conviction over sin, which you need salvation from. And that's the work of God too, graciously. As Jesus says in John 16, 8, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And Peter, when he's preaching at Pentecost in Acts 2, credits the Holy Spirit for the conviction that the people are feeling and seeing in others when they realize they've killed their own Messiah. But understanding one's spiritual condition and being convicted of sin and understanding that Jesus actually saves, if you take it a step further, does not save a person. Because intellectually, you can think these things and know that they're true. And as Jesus says, 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, there's many people around the world, in the United States, and other places that understand some basic truths of the gospel and want to be involved and believe Jesus is the Savior and know that he's the only way to salvation and may have even said a prayer asking Jesus to save them. And maybe they got baptized in water. And maybe they go to a church now and they go every day and they can do all this and think all this and still not yet be saved, according to the Bible. Jesus had people like this, even in his own ministry, disciples that followed him that would turn away when his teaching got too intense and they didn't like it or didn't want it. For a person to be saved, to receive eternal life and receive the merits of Christ, according to the Bible, a person must repent from their sin, meaning turn from their sin, a new direction, believe the gospel, trust Christ, and embrace Christ in faith. This is what true salvation requires. How does this happen to a person? Because intellectually, you can think things and want things and say things and even do things and not be saved. But according to the Bible, to truly have eternal life, you must repent of your sin, turning away, believing the gospel, trusting in Christ and his merits and embracing him in faith and then subsequently following him. How does that happen? It happens by the super grace of God taking a person over. And it begins with God's grace of regeneration, where God literally causes a person to be spiritually revived or resuscitated. Jesus calls this being born again. John chapter 3, you may have read this chapter, you know this story, Nicodemus was a religious man, a Pharisee, and he's curious and yet confused about Jesus. So he goes one night to visit Jesus, basically to ask him, who are you? And then Jesus responds, interestingly, by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. Then he later says, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? How can I be born again? I'm 30 years old. I outweigh my mother now by 50, 60 pounds even. I cannot be born a second time and go back in her womb. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about your biological birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth that is caused by the Holy Spirit. A spiritual rebirth or baptism by the Holy Spirit, an overwhelming takeover by the Holy Spirit, which is what God promised, even in the Old Testament, that he would do to people. In the 6th century BC, the prophet Ezekiel, speaking for God, God is fed up with, even furious over the people of Israel because they refused to walk in his ways and honor his name, said, I'm going to change the people. What I'm going to do, Ezekiel 36, verse 20, 
6 and 7 is I'm going to take out their stony dead heart and give them a new heart and I will put my spirit within them and cause them to walk in my ways which he does the same thing the prophet before Ezekiel Jeremiah said regarding the new covenant of grace that God would bring where God will change the people. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34. Look at the proactive grace of God and what God promises to do. And this is what Peter and Paul and others preach about in the New Testament in Jesus himself. God who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. You must be born again. People say, God doesn't cause me to be born again. I made myself born again when I decided to come to faith. Very faulty thinking. That's not true. I used to think that years ago. But your faith does not cause you to be born again, as many teach. Being born again causes you or causes you to come to faith, as we'll see. Rebirth is not a decision. It's not a class, as some people say. It's a takeover by God, caused by God. And this is what Peter says, speaking about the loving kindness of grace. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Spiritual rebirth is is the gift of God, the grace of God by the Holy Spirit that overwhelms a person and regenerates them. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 4, 5, and 6, after describing his inability to walk rightly with God, it's God who saves and rebirths people. People say, just say a prayer and you'll be born again. Not true. Many have said prayers, asked Jesus to do things who have not been saved and born again. It is God's overwhelming takeover. Being spiritually baptized by the Holy Spirit, which causes a number of synchronized or rapid chronological actions to occur in a person. Just like when you turn the ignition in your car or press the button, your car goes through a series of actions to make it run and then go. This is the rebirth that triggers a myriad of activities, but three foundational steps that lead to a person being saved and coming to faith in Christ. The first would be that your heart is open to the truth, not just intellectually in agreement with it or cool with it or believe it to be true, but your heart is literally open to the gospel, what it says about you and your need for a Savior, and this is done by the grace of God. As evidenced by a woman named Lydia who lived in Philippi, who met Paul and his friend Silas and Luke and others in Acts 16, when Paul is there in the city, and on the Sabbath day, he was praying with his friends, and he met this woman in a group of people named Lydia, and he preached the gospel to her. In verse 14 of Acts 16, Luke writes, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to or heed Paul's message. It was God's grace that opened Lydia's heart. Lydia didn't open her own heart. 
God opened her heart as he promised he would do, as he begins to move in and spiritually baptize her and bring her to the truth, which is a series of actions. David writes, King David, when he wrote this, we don't know, but Psalm 16, verse 11, he says, O Lord, you have made known to me, more literally, you have caused me to know the path of life. The way to eternal life, the path, you've revealed that to me. You opened up my eyes, you opened up my heart, and you showed me the way of salvation that I just wrote about in your Messiah who was raised from the dead, who is my Lord. Psalm 2, kiss the son. The Lord revealed this to David by his grace. And then what happens when the heart is opened? By God, blind people cannot give themselves vision. God gives blind people vision. He opens hearts. What will happen when the gospel is applied to a person and God is working via his gracious Holy Spirit to bring them to complete salvation, then what happens is conviction of sin takes over. And a person has their heart broken by the realization of their sin against God. And they have godly sorrow in their heart. But they don't just go confessing sins to a religious professional and just return the next week to do the same. Repentance is more than confession. As you may know, repentance means a turning away from sin and moving a different direction. It's impossible for a person on our own to be freed from the control of sin and actually turn from sin and begin walking in the ways of God. But this step of repentance is a byproduct of God's loving kindness to a person, as evidenced by the Bible. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. Peter, a Jew, had just been preaching in a Gentile's house, a Roman soldier, centurion named Cornelius, where Cornelius and many in the house were saved through the message that Peter preached. And then Peter returns to Jerusalem and announces what God was doing and the favor of God even now going to the Gentiles. And the believers praise God and say to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. You see, God granted Cornelius and those that day the understanding of the gospel and the true repentance that leads to life a new life walking in the direction of the Savior and away from the life of sin that controlled them. Not a perfect life yet. That happens in glory. But freedom from sin and a life turning away from it. That then causes that person, after their heart is open and they're convicted and they're turning from sin, they embrace Christ in faith. A lot of information is flying around the brain and God is working in many ways over whatever period of time God wishes to act on a person. For some, like Paul, it was immediate. For others, like Nicodemus, it took a while. For me, it took a while. But nevertheless, what God does is he then brings a person to genuine faith in Christ, a genuine embrace of Christ, not just an intellectual acceptance of Christ, a genuine 
embrace of Christ in faith. And this is where many people struggle to understand the depth of God's grace because people think that faith is something that comes from within ourselves on our own, based on our own willpower or decision-making and our good heart. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that even the faith that a person has in the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift of God and his loving kindness. As Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. In this, your faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works. Even if you think your faith is a result of your own doing and work, it's not the result of you and your works. It is the gift of God. It's part of the package of God's overwhelming loving kindness given to a person. Truly. Even Paul says in Philippians 2, 29, that that we have been granted the faith that we have. People say, no, that's not true. God didn't give me faith. It was my free will that decided to believe and, and, and make the decision for Christ. It may feel that way, but it wasn't your free will that independent of God's grace acted to believe in Christ because you can't. And also your will, our will is not free before we're saved, especially because we are a slave of sin and we're spiritually dead and we can't do the things of God to embrace Christ truly and follow him. God must act upon us and exert his will upon us. This is exactly what Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 63, for example. He says, the spirit gives life. The flesh is no help at all. This is why I told you that no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless it is granted to him by my father. You see, coming to Jesus in true faith, not just mere intellectualism, true faith like drinking water. Faith in Christ is like drinking water. When you're dehydrating and dying in a desert, let's say you're in Death Valley in the United States and you're, you're dehydrating, you must get water in your system. You can know everything there is about water. You can have a bottle of water in your backpack and talk about H2O. That won't save you. You can dump it on your head. You can sing songs about it. You can even put it in your mouth and spit it out. You can even have a friend who says, I don't need water. That's your way. My way is I eat sand. And eating sand causes me to rehydrate. Well, that's some false religion or that's salvation by good works, which is not true. People believe it. You must drink the water. Faith in Christ is drinking the water. You must open the bottle and drink it. And faith embraces Christ. And this is what God causes people to do. That's why Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. I give them eternal life. What causes a person, a spiritually dead sinner, to hear the voice of Christ through the gospel calling them into faith? Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, or literally drags him. John 6, People say, no, it's my will. It's my will. Paul makes it clear. It's not our will. <laughs> Romans 8, Romans 9, verse 15, Romans 9, quoting God. God says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will 
or human exertion, but on God who has mercy. It doesn't depend on your will. God overtakes your will. He changes our will. He turns rebels and runners from God and lovers of sin into faithful people who love and follow Jesus. He breaks through our will. Well, well, yeah, but you have to agree to come. No, no, God doesn't wait for anyone to come. God's a gentleman. He would never impose his will on us, people say. That's so not true and sad. God is more than a gentleman. He's a loving Savior. He's a loving father who sent his son, and he very much will impose his will on people, just like I did last week in Idaho when I was with some guys, and we were talking about these things, and we were in this corral like a barn having our meetings, and there was a frog that had come in because someone left the door open to the quote-unquote corral the evening before. And if he stays in the corral and gets caught in the corner, he's going to die. So what did I do? I <laughs> exerted my will against the frog because when I tried to pick up the frog, the frog didn't. Frog did not say, "Oh, thank you, sir. Thanks for helping me out. Will you carry me outside so I can play with my friends?" The frog tried to get away. In fact, he was so adamant <laughs> trying to get away from me, he was jumping and smashing his face against the wall. I wonder how that felt. And then I reached out my hand and I grabbed him. Now, I could have done anything with the frog. I could have smashed him, thrown him against the wall, stepped on him, or flushed him down a toilet or something. Instead, I had compassion on the froggy. The frog didn't know what my compassion was. He thought I was probably a predator, maybe going to eat him. So what do you think the frog did? Yes, indeed. He urinated and pooped in my hand. I could feel it. He thought I was going to eat him. I even told two of my friends there, said, this frog is pooping in my hand. This is just like the gospel. I've grabbed the frog against his will, and I'm going to save him. He has no idea, and he continued to poop. I didn't get mad at him for doing this because I wanted to help him. I had compassion on the froggy, and I took the frog outside, and I put him in the garden and put him on the ground, and he leaped a few times away and went away. I saved the frog against his will. He's probably glad I did that. Now, he may have gone back and told his friends, you won't believe what happened to me today. This human creature grabbed me to eat me, but I, in my free will, pooped in his hand. And so he released me. I saved myself. He can think all he wants. I saved the frog, and God saves us. Just like Lazarus, dead for four days in the tomb, John 11, Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Did Lazarus go, you know what, Jesus? I don't think so. I don't want to come out. I kind of like this. There's no COVID down here, no problems, no bills to pay. I think I'm just going to stay in this state and just wait till the end. How about that? No choice. He came out of the tomb according to the command and the grace of Jesus, just like Paul's salvation. What a clear example of God imposing his loving kindness on Paul. Here was a man who hated Jesus and was even killing Christians, Jews that believed in Jesus. And while Paul was on his way to go persecute, arrest, maybe even kill more Jews that believed in Jesus, guess what happened to Paul? Like the froggy, (laughs) Jesus saved Paul against Paul's will and turned Paul into arguably the most devoted Christian of all time. And as Paul will say and write in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, it was Christ who took hold of me. I didn't grab hold of Christ. Christ took hold of me. I know it feels like it was our decision and the gospel's out there, 
And it seems like God waits for people to come to believe because not everyone comes at the same time. But that's not how it works. Like froggies in a corral or Paul going to persecute Christians or a dead body at the bottom of the ocean who cannot resist the Coast Guard's grab and resuscitation. It is God's grace that saves us. And when God brings us to faith in Christ and this rebirthing power and favor, he unites us to Christ, literally spiritually united to Christ. The merits of Jesus, his perfect life and sacrifice are applied to us. Eternal life is fully granted. It's felt and experienced by the grace of God. A person is saved permanently has peace and fellowship with God, is not walking on legalistic eggshells, is free and is in the family of God and knows it, fully forgiven with eternal life secured by the grace of God. How? Because God in his exceedingly generous loving kindness will give his new saved person the power of the Holy Spirit that birthed him again and brought him to faith will seal him in the Holy Spirit to claim him and guarantee him for salvation and never let him go. I give my sheep eternal life, Jesus says. I give it to them and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The Holy Spirit, we will hold our people. And then God in his grace works on the new believer to make that person more and more allegiant to Christ and joyful in service of Christ. Live out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Amen. The overwhelming, proactive, and personal, sovereign, perfect, comprehensive, and eternal grace of God that takes a sinner over and brings them to life in Christ Jesus. What percent or what role does grace play in a person's salvation? 100% according to God in the Bible. The grace of God, the loving kindness of God, necessarily and effectually permeates, saturates every layer and aspect and step of a person's salvation with God. Amen. This is true. I know there's questions and objections to the thought of God's grace being 100% graciously gracious, and that is answerable, and we will do that in two podcasts. In our next podcast, we will focus our attention on the amazing emotional benefits and psychological byproducts upon a person when they come to understand the depth of God's comprehensive grace. Praise the Lord. Until then, we hope that you have a great week. We hope that this message will serve as encouragement to you in your life. Thank you very much for listening. Spread the word.